Welcome to another episode of the Two Shots Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Garcia. And today we're going to be joined by a guest. We're going to be joined by Jeff Garcia, the lead Spurs writer for News 4 San Antonio, Fox 29, and also the Spurs Zone. So how are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back on with you. And um, hmm, I wonder if we're going to be talking about Manu, maybe just a little bit. Maybe just a little bit, but let's <laughs> let's go ahead and recap this horrible loss that the Spurs yeah. had on the road. Once again, they have their road wo- woes against the Hornets, where they lost this one in overtime, 125 to 116. And this is despite them having a 10-point lead at one point, and they, they just, you know, like squandered it. So let us know what you saw in, la- in last night's game. What, what do you think happened? Uh, you know, again, you know, lack of consistency on the defensive end. Uh, Popovich stressed that a lot uh, following the uh, loss. They just cannot get some consistency defensively on the road. I don't know what it is. It's been a question mark, <clears throat> excuse me, the entire season. But nevertheless, it's reared at his ugly head. You also got to remember this, too. I think the Spurs got to really, really think about what's going to happen come postseason. Uh, Kemba Walker lit up San Antonio for 30 plus points. I mean, and then the overtime, my goodness, uh, he was a perfect, he was perfect shooting. He didn't miss a shot and torched San Antonio for 11 points in the overtime period. The Spurs really got to wonder is Derek White, DeMar DeRozan, Bryn Forbes, Patty Mills going to be enough to stop tough guards in the postseason? If they draw a Portland, they draw a Golden State, if they draw Houston, that could spell issues. If one guy, Kemba Walker, can do that, imagine what a double-headed monster like McCollum and Lillard, uh, Gordon and uh, Harden, you know, that could be an issue. But as far as the game is concerned, um, it just really comes down to defense, just defense. Yeah. That's what I just – this this team is just so weird. Yeah, you know, and the thing is is that they also allowed James Harden to go off on them for 61 points. You know, yeah. the only reason that they, I believe, got the win on the road against the Celtics is the Celtics were without some of their better players. You know, it's mm-hmm. not an excuse, you know, as any team will say, you know, you can't use when some, you know, when one of your star players isn't playing as an excuse to lose a game. You have to find ways to win. But, you know, it did help the Spurs chances. Um, my thing is yeah. moving forward. Are we going to be in some, you know, in for some problems on the road? Because more than likely the Spurs are going to start a playoff run on the road and they seem to just, you know, not get it going on the road. They can't win. How important is this going to be if they want to go far in the, in the postseason? Um, they're going to look the road issues. That's been the biggest thing this whole season, hasn't it? I mean, you know this, I know that um, they're going to be on the road. There's more that that's what's going to happen. They're going to be on the road. Joe, I, I'm worried about this team. Me too. <laughs> um, I'm worried about them. I think it could be an early exit as of we're as of this recording, there are eighth. They're in the eighth seed. That means a date with GSW. That means Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. Okay, fine. They move up a peg. They go to seven. You know, that's what a date with. The Rockets, a date with Denver. Um, if any team can pull off a road win in the postseason, excuse me, would be Popovich's led Spurs team. Look, he's getting a lot out of this team. Brent Forbes, Derek White in the second season, look what he's doing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But 
another thing to be uh, watching for is this, Joe. Um, do the do the Spurs have a closer? They do. His name is LMA. But so much offense goes through Demar Derozan that do you now trust him? Come crunch time, uh, we saw what happened versus Houston, the turnover. We saw what happened versus Toronto, another turnover. We saw what happened versus Charlotte. Um, you know, he could have iced the game, but he didn't. Uh, should they rethink that? I think that's something the Spurs got to keep in mind as the postseason inches. But what sucks, though, is that they're losing games they should win. They should have beaten the Hornets. No Jeremy Lamb, no Tony Parker uh, at all during the game. No Nick Batum, and they still lost. Playing down the competition. Does this team have the mentality and the maturity of to rise to the occasion? As of right now, I, I, I'm, I'm worried about that. Yeah, I'm worried too, you know, and as of this recording right now, pulling up the latest Western Conference standings, Golden State is number one, Denver is two, the Trailblazers have surpassed the Rockets for the third spot, Rockets are number four, and the Clippers, which were, you know, the Clippers, the Jazz, the Thunder, and the Spurs, which were all at almost at a dead heat about a week ago, now we have the Clippers at the five spot and looking to like, you know, really secure that five spot in the West, the Spurs' magic number right now is three wins. They have seven games left on the season. Three of these games are on the road. They need three wins. The Spurs, if they can go, you know, on this, like the last seven games that they have, four and three, that might be good enough to get you into the eighth spot. But if you really want to secure a seventh seed, you're more than likely going to have to go five and two or six and one, you know, and I think yeah. that might, uh, be a tall order, especially on the road where they're having an issue trying to get you know, wins, you know. And the the Hornets, the Hornets are a sub. They're not subpar, but they're under five hundred. They've just yeah. recently gone on a was it a four game winning streak recently, you know, to end the season. But I believe their current record after they beat the Spurs right now they're thirty five and thirty nine, you know. And yeah. they're they're getting better. There's one. Of the, they're going to be one of these teams that you're going to have to keep an eye on. For the mm -hmm. next couple of seasons, they're they're rising. You know, they're rising. They're they're going to start catching fire. But the Spurs recently have had some issues with the Eastern Conference this whole season. You know, their their record against the East is horrible. You know, against the Western Conference, they fare a little better. But my issue is consistently consistency, and and basically, it's not just the defensive end; it's also the offensive end. And this game mm -hmm. against the Hornets, we saw that in crunch time, the Spurs had trouble executing on the offensive end. It seems like Pop, yeah. for whatever reason, down the stretch in crunch time, wants the ball in DeMar DeRozan's hands. And I get that. But why are you letting him get the ball in the inbounds pass and everybody's just clearing out, trying to let him do an iso play with yeah. you being able to still call a timeout and run a better offensive play than that? Why wouldn't you put the yeah. ball in your point guard's hands or put it in LMA's hands or somebody else that you have more faith in. Right now, DeMar DeRozan, he's a great ISO player, probably one of the better ISO players that's on the roster. But in crunch time, with maybe 10 or 5 seconds left, I don't trust him, man. I'm going to be honest and, and I'll say it. I don't trust him with the ball in his hands for him yeah. to be able to you know, go up and isolate a player and try to get to the rim and make something happen. I think he's more of a of a spot up shooter. Like in crunch time, make the, make it easier for him. Give him a sporting yeah. chance to make a decent shot. They're 
just going out there and saying, hey, man, just do your thing. We win, we win. If we don't, we go to overtime. That's not the Spurs way, yeah. man. And it's kind of yeah. been perplexing. Why is Pop doing that? That's that's very unlike Coach Pop. A few more things. Also, too, you're seeing signs of what a team looks like when they don't have veteran presence, especially a presence that has been with the team. Uh, like they had with Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili, TD. Uh, this is a new generation of Spurs. Uh, say what you will, that Patty Mills is there. Yes, he is. Um, the LMA, he has a few seasons under his belt. But it's not the same as a Tim Duncan or a Mono Ginobili. Pa- uh, Popovich spoke about that after the loss to the Hornets. Uh, I'm sorry, before the game versus the Hornets, not after. Uh, saying that um, having that type of experience on a roster is invaluable and it helps coaches. And you're seeing this team find their way. Derek White, you know, we saw he didn't have that greatest a game last night, you know, versus Hornets. Um, you know, that's going to happen. He's a second-year pro. People forget that. He's only in the second season. And his rookie season, he spent half that time in the G League. So there's that. There's also thing, too, they shot themselves in the foot. 12 turnovers was not that bad, but they had about 15, 16 points uh, the Hornets, that is, off those 12 San Antonio uh, turnovers. They didn't really help themselves defensively. Again, transition D. Also, zone defense. The, the Hornets threw the zone defense at the Spurs, and it was effective, and it worked. That might be the Spurs' uh, doom uh, heading into the postseason if teams pick up on this and say, huh, for some reason, this style of defense just bashes the Spurs' uh, collective minds in the head and they can't figure it out. They might roll with that. So there's a lot of more there's a lot more question marks going into the postseason than there are uh, answers right now. Um, and when you have that type of mentality, you start to think maybe just maybe um, Spurs fans need to grab on tight because yeah, it could be a bumpy ride. Yeah, I'm not really feeling confident about this team going into the postseason. Even if we match up against a Denver Nuggets team, or we get, yeah. let's say, the Portland Trailblazers or the Rockets, which right now I got to tell you, anything beyond getting the, you know, matching up against uh, the first or the second seed is really out of mm-hmm. the question based on how many games are left. The Spurs would need a catastrophic collapse from the teams that are in front of them right now, really to to move up anywhere higher than seven. You know, they, yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to catch the Jazz or the Clippers just based on the time that's left right now. I think they've run out of time. The only thing they need to worry about is winning three games so to they so they can make sure that they are going to secure a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Anything higher than three, that's just gravy to really see if you can move up and maybe get some help from the Thunder or maybe the Jazz. Yeah. But that's about it. I think right now we're going to wind up playing, I believe, the the Golden State Warriors. I, I don't know if the Spurs are going to really be able to put together a string of victories like going five and one, I mean, five and two or six and one to really secure a seven or a six spot. You know, I, I just don't think that they have it in them right now, but I I would like to be surprised. I mean, you just finished saying that yourself, you know, this is kind of a sketchy team right now. Um, They need a catch fire because you don't want to go in feeling dejected, you know, and, and have morale at an all time low. You want something that you can, hang your hat on and say, this is a defining moment for us going into the postseason. And maybe that might be getting a win in front of the home crowd with this Manu game coming up. And and let's do this one for Manu. I mean, what do you think, Jeff? 
Yeah, I mean, I hope they don't get distracted by the uh, festivities. That's my only thing. You know, it's going to be an emotional night. I hope the Spurs don't feed into that. Look, one of the things the Spurs do, and a bad thing, is play down to the competition. Uh, we saw that versus the Bulls. We saw that versus the Heat. We saw that versus the Hornets. So you mix all that together, you know, it, it could could spell disaster. But I don't think the Spurs will lose to the Cavs. They're playing at home. We know the Spurs flex their muscles at home. I think they'll be fine. This is a what a 15-win Cavs team that's coming into the AT&T Center. The Spurs will get the W, and I and I hope they put away the Cavs early, just so they can start the mono party party earlier too. Yeah, I agree with you, but only time will tell what's going to happen with this team. And right now, they're kind of running out of that, so they're going to have to make the most out of these last uh, seven games that they have and try to find ways to win. You know, pull yeah. together. And they're, they're, the thing is, the, the frustrating part for us as fans and also for the coaching staff, I'm sure, is trying to make them more consistent. You know, I mean, Popovich, he probably has high blood pressure right now, man, because you get the, the team playing very well at the AT&T Center. And then even on the road at times, they play really good defense. And then all of a sudden, they go against a, a subpar team on the road or even at home and they give them fits and they don't play mm -hmm. consistent defense. They start out flat. You know, they, they can't make a shot. Even in the game that was happening yesterday against the Hornets in overtime, I saw a lot of hero ball, you know, people mm -hmm. flinging up threes like crazy. Uh, no one had a good shot. They didn't have good looks at the basket and credit, you know, Charlotte for stepping up their defense and disrupting the Spurs on the offensive end. But the Spurs just seem to get out of sorts in the overtime period. They never seem to like yeah. really get into their rhythm and really run a, a, a good offensive play. It was just whoever's mm -hmm. open, just fling it up and let's see what happens. Let me get the rebound. We still have plenty of time on the clock, but let me just fling up a three. I mean, did you notice yeah. that as well? Uh, I, I just saw it. Just, it was just a bad mix. One day, I think they ran out of gas. Two one name, Campbell Walker. I mean, what more can you say? He just devastated the Spurs. And uh, three, they just shot horrifically in the overtime period. Uh, I'll, I'll do you one better. Between the fourth and the and the OT period, the Spurs shot only 39% from the fourth until the conclusion of the OT period. That's bad. So their three-point shot was also uh, under uh, 30% as well from the fourth to the OT period. So it was just a bad mix, the road. So hopefully the Spurs will rebound versus the uh, Cavs tomorrow night. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and cut it short with you because I know you got to get going because you got to <laughs> catch a flight, my friend, and you're going to be coming back home. <laughs> yep. So my, uh, my, my monthly visits. <laughs> there you go. So I'll catch up with you when, you're, when you come back to SA. But until then, go ahead and have fun. Have a safe flight, and we'll see you back Thank in you. San Antonio, man. All right, now it's time to bring on our second guest. We had to say goodbye to Jeff Garcia, but now we're saying hello to an old friend of ours. Our second guest on this segment is going to be Dan Bespris of the Hoopball website. How you doing, Dan? Oh, you know, hanging in there. A little stressed about uh, fantasy playoffs for us right now, but, uh, you know, good. A, a couple of Tums usually is good for what ails me. <laughs> tums is always good. You know, just got to get the flavored ones that don't taste like chalk, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Berry. Berry's the Tums of choice over here. Yeah, there you go. Try the berry flavored in case you ever have the heartburn late at night. I think we've all been there before. 
<laughs> so I'd like to go ahead and get your take. I talked with Jeff, Jeff Garcia of News 4 San Antonio, uh, Fox 29, and also he does the uh, Locked on Spurs podcast as well. Um, we're recapping the Spurs-Hornets game. And basically we're, you know, talking about how the Spurs have had their road, road wars all this season. You know, they, they just seem to just, you know, not get things going on the road, you know, and they're very inconsistent. So this loss that they had against the Hornets is one game that they needed to win. They just seemed to come out flat out of the gate. They got down early. They outscored the, the Hornets in the second period, 36 to 26, try to make a run at it. But it just seemed to fall flat. You know, they went up, I think one time the Spurs had a lead, I believe, of 10 points. Uh, they squandered that lead and they let the Hornets right in and they they didn't have an answer to Kimball Walker. He basically was a one-man wrecking crew, and, and not just him. You know, we also had uh, Dwayne uh, Bacon, who had a very good game as well with 24 points to go along with Kemba's 38 points. So what do you what did you see in that game yesterday? There's just something about the defense for the Spurs on the road. It's just not there. And you thought maybe there was some kind of corner being turned in the Celtics win. That was a big one. They held Boston to 96 points. But it looked like a little bit perhaps more of a flash in the pan. They just sort of weren't ready for Charlotte uh, in that ball game last night. The Hornets played well. They lost Jeremy Lamb halfway through, and they were still able to send it to overtime and win it. Uh, in terms of just localized to yesterday's game, you have to find a way to hold the Hornets to a lower scoring total. I, I mean, I know Kemba Walker is, a, is an outstanding basketball player. He put up 38 points on 31 shots, but overall as a team, just too many. You mentioned Dwayne Bacon with 24 on only 16 shots. Uh, Miles Bridges had 10 right out of the shoot. Frank Kaminsky had 15 points in that ball game yesterday. You just sort of can't let these things happen against middling teams or better teams are going to take advantage of you. I, I will say in terms of optimism from a regular season standpoint, the Spurs remaining three road games are uh, against the Nuggets, which is going to be a really tough one, and then the Wizards and the Cavs. Because at that point, I don't, I don't know if Washington's really still trying to win right now, but by April 5th and April 7th, it's going to be pretty clear both of those teams are trying to lose ball games. So there's a very real chance that the Spurs could go 6-1 and one here down the stretch with home games also very winnable, a really good schedule. The, op the flip coin of that, Joe, is they don't really have many road tests left to sort of get ready for the postseason. So, I, you know, it, again, turning it back to just yesterday's game, it was a microcosm of what we've seen all season long, and they've got to try to figure out a way to slow down decent to good teams when they're on the road. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do it in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't know if they'll be able to do it as well, because one thing that they've shown us, and this is me talking not just as a Spurs fan, but as a Spurs analyst. And you and a lot of people get mad because they're like, oh, you talk bad about the Spurs. I'm not talking bad about them. I'm just telling you what everybody else has been able to see, including the coaching staff all season. The Spurs are very inconsistent on the defensive end, especially when it comes to playing on the road. Uh, just like you stated, uh, Ben, uh, they do. I mean, Dan, I'm sorry. They have seven games left on this on the season. Three of these games are on the road. The Spurs magic number to clinch a, a playoff berth is three games. Now, however they get those three games with the last seven games that they have left, that's up to them. 
But one game that really scares me, well, I have two actually. The Kings game, the Wizards are the other two games that scare me more than more so than just the Nuggets game. The Nuggets game, I'd I'd be surprised if the Spurs get that win. Um, but the Kings and the Wizards, the Kings play the Spurs tough, and the Spurs got blown out by the Kings the last time they played them. And the Wizards, they're another team that's just like the like the the Hornets. You know, the Spurs should have no trouble beating this team, but you never know what Spurs team you're going to get, especially on the road. The Cavaliers should be a gimme. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA. But again, with the way that the Spurs have been inconsistent on the road, they haven't made a believer out of me that they can win away from the AT&T Center. So with that, and we just do the, the math, you have the Cavaliers coming up, then you have the Kings game, and you have the you have the Hawks and Spurs game. Okay, I'm looking at these three home games. They, those could be you know winnable, except for the Kings game, which scares me. I think they'll get that one. I really do. I think they'll get the Kings game. I th- I mean, it's just such a crazy. It, it's uh, the best way I can think to describe it is sort of like the magic of recency, and it's not even necessarily recency bias. It's magic because. I don't think we're formulating too strong of an opinion based on the things we've seen lately. We all know the Spurs are way better at home than they are on the road. The, the record bears it out. They're 29 and eight at home and 14 and 24 on the road. And I think the best example of this was the rodeo road trip. They were gone for multiple weeks, including an all-star break mixed in there. And they just looked awful on that road trip. And that it was did. like overnight magic. Spurs go home after losing to the Knicks, the Nets, and just whipped up on the Pistons. They beat the Thunder. They beat the Nuggets. Everything was golden again. And this is that thing where that's why I don't think I'm particularly worried about the Kings game. They're just a completely different beast at home than they are on the road. And this is why they got to find a way, I think, to go six and one down the stretch. It's it's incredibly important that they finish these last seven games and get to 49 wins. It gives them their only opportunity to get near home court. And I still don't think that'll be enough because the Rockets are sitting at 47 and 28 with seven games to go and they're in the four spot. But at the very least, Joe, they got to get out of the eight seed and not deal with the Warriors in the first round because... And it stems from the same thing. One of the very few teams in the NBA right now that doesn't care about home and road is Golden State. So they'll come in and they could give Spurs trouble even in San Antonio. Whereas you get the Nuggets in the first round. All you got to do is get into the seventh seed. The Nuggets are just like the Spurs. They're 31 and six at home and 19 and 17 on the road. So you're seeing a lot of pretty stark home road splits in the NBA this season, more than I can remember in recent years. And that's why I think the Spurs could very easily go six and one down the stretch uh, and get out of playing the Warriors in that first round. That's going to be so important for them. I agree with you. You know, we need to face up against anybody but the Warriors. If we play the Warriors in the first round of the playoffs, it's going to be a gentleman sweep or maybe it'll be a full on sweep. I think the Spurs have it in them to maybe win one game, but that might be just about it. You know, I don't see them winning a seven game series against the Golden State Warriors. Against the Nuggets, I like their chances a lot more just because of the matchups. But again, you know, their their test is going to be in the postseason. Can they win on the road? Because like we both know, they're going to start the playoff berth on the road. Because I really don't see them moving up any higher than than seven 
I, I just don't think that six could be attainable unless they get some help from from a jazz team or they get some help from the Clippers or the Thunder. You know, I, I believe that each one of these teams is going to be winning, you know, and I think it's th that's why it's that much harder for the Spurs to try to move up They're Like you said, they're going to have to go either six and one or I believe maybe five and two. But who knows what will happen? You know, we'll just hope that they can win. So moving on to our next segment, we're going to talk MVPs. All this talk has been surrounded that we heard on the four-letter networks, on the national, on the over at the national media, all over the place. There's two candidates, basically. There's talk about Kawhi Leonard thrown in the mix there, but let's be honest, Dan. All the talk centers around Giannis and Harden. Who do you got? Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a reason to throw. Uh, any other names into the mix. I mean, if you were going to pick a third candidate, I guess you'd maybe look at like a Dame Lillard. The Blazers to me have way exceeded my expectations for the season, but it still doesn't really put him in that same echelon and certainly not Kawhi, not with the number of games he's missed and how good the Raptors have been even without him. Yeah. Uh, to me, that, that kind of takes him out of the mix as well. And he's been very good. I want to take anything away from Kawhi, the games he's been on the floor for, uh, but it's Giannis and Harden. And it, it's such a, a hair split in this one. Rockets 47 and 28, Bucks a league best 56 and 19. The advanced stats actually all point to Giannis being the MVP. And I think, I actually think Harden's going to win it. So let me answer this question, Joe, in two different ways. Sure. There's the who it should be and the <laughs> who I think it will, who I think it will be. Okay. It should be Giannis. It should be Giannis. By all metrics, he's had the more impactful season because of how many things he can do in terms of rim protection uh, on the defensive side. And Harden's gotten better on the defensive end. He has a ton of deflections this year. He's been in the mix on the defensive side. But just from an overall landscape, it's Giannis. He's done more, and his team has the best record in the league. But where Giannis is going to get dinged, is that his team suffered injuries at the end of the season instead of the beginning. And that's the, the narrative portion of this. And it's all about the story for the MVP, where the Rockets lost Chris Paul for two months, and then Capella went down for a month, and they lost all these guys in the offseason, Ariza and Bamude. Everybody left the Rockets, and it was just hardened against the world, and then he scored 60 points for like a month and a half straight and, and held them afloat until they got some of their guys back, and then suddenly they're the four seed in a, in a very difficult Western conference. If Giannis had lost Middleton and Bledsoe in December and January, and, you know, this is just creating a hypothetical scenario, and his team was still winning at, you know, and they're not, not going to be 75%, but, you know, 55 to 60%, I think he'd win this thing running away. Just to sort of show the league, I'm doing this, even regardless of who's around me. But he didn't. They've largely been healthy until like a week ago when Miritich and Brogdon both went down. And at this point, nobody cares what the Bucks do the last week and half of the season. They're going to have the best record in the NBA. Giannis has nothing to prove. He can rest a couple of days if he wants. And so to me, he's getting, he's getting nailed on the fact that his best cohorts were healthy all season long and Harden's were not. And James went out there and did something that no one's done before. And, you know, it's why Westbrook run it a couple years ago. If you do something that people can't remember seeing before, you're going to win it. So if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Harden. Uh, my vote would be for Giannis. 
I think I'm in agreement with you in that one. I've, and this is the reason why I think it is, you know, going to be in favor of Harden. I think it has to do with player attributes, specifically how they perform, not just in the season, but what they can do on the offensive end as well. Uh, and when you compare the two, Harden is, I think, more of a more well-balanced, all-around offensive threat. Giannis is a physical presence in the paint. You know, you cannot deny his athletic ability and his ability just to embarrass everybody else. You know, he's been on the highlight reel numerous times because he's just dunking over people. That's his forte. You know, you get him the ball deep in the deep in the paint. He's just going to find a way to get to the rim, you know, and he doesn't really have to shoot in that regard because he's so gifted in other in other aspects of the game. And he's just willing his team at times to to victory. Yes, he's getting help, but when his team really needs to rely on him, he he comes through for them because he's on he's an unstoppable force, much like Harden. So my take is, do you think that they're really going to look at what Harden can do on the offensive end as far as him being able to score, shoot the three, have a mid-range jumper, be able to get to the rim at ease, you know, with some some of his speed and his athletic ability and Giannis who isn't really well known for his shooting abilities he's more of this powerhouse he's just gonna power his way through everybody much like a a, a Shaquille O'Neal back in his day do you what do you think of these two factors coming into play that's why I think Harden is going to be the guy who wins it uh because one of the areas where Giannis excels the most is his efficiency. He's shooting 58% on 17 shots a game. He has the second most impactful field goal percent of anybody in the NBA. Clint Capella, oddly enough, who's been getting all of his dimes from Harden and Chris Paul, has the best positive field goal percent impact of anyone in the NBA, uh, 64% on 11 shots. Giannis is number two. I mean, he's in there with Capella and Gobert and Montrez Harrell and DeAndre Ayton and JaVale McGee. These are the other guys that are having that type of efficiency note on the offensive end. And Giannis, he's the only one, in, he's in his own ballpark yeah. with 17 shots a game. That type of stuff is almost unheard of on that level of volume. As a point of reference, Carl Anthony Towns, who a lot of folks talk about as a big-time efficiency guy, a big man who scores with efficiency, He's taking 17 shots a game also, and he's shooting 52%. But the problem there is that's not something that's going to get viewed in the same light as what Harden's done. And again, this is not me trying to take anything away from James Harden. He's done some stuff this year that has just blown me away. He's scoring 36 points a game, and the number two player, Paul George, is at 28. It's just not close. And those are the numbers that people are going to be looking at. They're not going to be staring at the 58% to 44%. That's just not the thing that voters are going to look at the closest. They're going to see that James Harden is hitting 4.8 three-pointers a game, second only to Steph Curry in the league, that he's dishing seven and a half dimes and he has over two steals a night. All these things that Harden's done that, that are eye-catching, the 60 points, that he's done multiple times this year, just crazy scoring games from Harden. Remember that stretch where he was, he scored 30 or more. And I don't remember the exact number off the top. It was like 40 games in a row, something crazy like that. That's record breaking. Voters love 
record-breaking, and Harden has done that this year, and he did it when his team was hurt, and they needed him to keep them afloat. And so that's why, to me, I think the narrative, the story points to Harden, even if the efficiency and the team record and all those little things that those of us like you, me, the listeners here pay closer attention to, that stuff points more towards Giannis. Uh, I still think Harden's getting it just because of those eye-popping numbers he put up this year. Uh, I'd have to say that I think it's going to go that way as well. I think that Harden is going to wind up being being crowned the NBA's MVP. And it pains me to say that because I'm a Spurs fan and I, I don't like the Rockets very much, but I respect Harden's game and, <laughs> you know, I have to be unbiased in that regard. So I'm just like, darn you, Rockets. But, you know, they have one of the best offensive threats in the league. And I do respect his game quite a bit. So this is something that he's earned. You know, you can't take that away from him. And Giannis, you know, unfortunately, I think he his time will come. I just believe that he just needs a, to work on a few aspects of his game. And he'll be up there, no doubt. He's going to be one of these forces to be reckoned with for years to come. Yeah, I so just a final thought on Giannis, too. If Middleton signs a max elsewhere, which I, I would assume he'll probably do, and the Bucks are sort of down one of their key cogs, and he does this again next year, oh. you want to know what his time will be. It might, it might be next season. Yeah. So I, it's, just, it's all about the story, you know? Even, <laughs> even if the stats all say one. Like the Steve Nash year, right? It was all about the story. And I still think the Westbrook triple-double year was about the story. The advanced stats said Harden should have won it that year, and they waited, and that's the way it works in the NBA. Giannis's time is coming, like you said, um, and I, I might even put a futures bet on him winning it next year if such a thing existed right now. Yeah, for real. I, I, that's how I'm feeling, too. I, I think it's going to be Harden's year, but next season it's going to be Giannis for sure. Um, but I just want to ask you a question. I want to pick your brain real quick. There's been a lot of talk amongst Everyone in the NBA, you know, national media, national media, four letter networks that are out there, you know, all the, the media that's out there as far as newspaper and magazines and, you know, national syndicated podcast. Everybody's saying that the Warriors are vulnerable this season, that they haven't been what they were in years past. But, you know, I got to tell you something, Dan. I'm, I don't really believe that they, they might not be the same team as far as their record goes. But I still think that they're one of the favorites. You get, you got to say that they have to be one of the favorites to win it all this year. You know, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think I think they are the favorite to win it all, right? Don't the betting markets agree? Yeah, they agree. But for some reason, this national media is like, oh, the the Warriors aren't going to make it to the NBA Finals again. They're, they're going to be toppled over by somebody. And I got to tell you, looking at the the Western Conference, who's going to topple them? You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, nobody. No, they all, I think the only team with a chance to beat the uh, the Warriors, oddly enough, is the 76ers. If they're totally healthy, I, I they just have a weird set of mismatches that Golden State hadn't really figured out. Um, yeah, you know, it's talking points, right? I'd love to be combative about stuff like this, but I've, I, I worked in sports betting for a while before I got into more of the fantasy sports division and you basically just fade everything that you hear on the big networks. Oh, yeah. That's the best way to bet on a ball game or anything really, because it's all about 
creating drama, creating conflict. It's not interesting if the Warriors are going to cakewalk to the finals. I do think they'll be challenged this year. I, I, I mean, I think that they're, the gap may have narrowed a little bit, uh, but I think the gap may have narrowed a little bit mostly with Eastern Conference teams, oddly enough. The, the West, I thought the Thunder might have a shot, but uh, they've been fading down the stretch. It's something to do with the Paul George injury. He hasn't quite looked the same uh, since coming back from that, and I'm sure they hope he'll be ready come playoff time. But they got to keep running him out there because they're sitting in that seventh seed, and they don't want the Warriors in the first round. Uh, like I said, I think the challenge is coming from the Eastern Conference, if anyone, this year. It, it looks to me like the Warriors' gap in the West is the same or greater because the Rockets were very close last season, and I don't know that anybody is as close to the Warriors this year as the Rockets were last. Uh, if I'm the Warriors, I would hope for anyone to come out of the East besides the 76ers, and it's a weird mismatch thing. It just has to, NBA's often about matchups. I think they can handle the Bucks because the Bucks do a lot of what the Warriors do. Uh, I think they can handle the Raptors, similar situation, and I don't know if anybody else would come out of the East. So, uh, no, I don't agree with the big media. I don't think that the Warriors are in for a, a – I don't think they're getting toppled early. Uh, I do think that's going to take a couple extra games if they're going to hoist another trophy this year. There's, there's a little bit more competition, especially come finals time. Well, that's a good thing. You know, we want to see some competition. We don't want to see sweeps in the NBA Finals. So as long as this thing goes six or seven games, I think everybody would be ecstatic because that's what they really want. The longer a series goes, the more engaged the fans get. So it's good for everyone all around. So I like that, Jen. I like that, Dan. So before we go ahead and end this episode of the Two Shots podcast, where can everyone hear all the great content that you're doing for the HoopBall website? Well, thank you're letting me shill a little bit at the end here, huh? Thank you. Uh, so every, the easiest way is just to follow me on Twitter. Everything that we do at HoopBall, I generally tweet out. That is just at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Uh, the Fantasy NBA Today is the podcast that I do every day. Um, it is definitely geared more towards the season-long fantasy crowd. And the website is hoop-ball.com. There's a hyphen in the middle there. So I'd love it if you guys would check it out. I uh, would, I could happy to talk to anybody on Twitter. It's I sit on my computer all day. This is this is what I do. It's it's a lot of fun, and um, right now it's stress time. So cut me some slack if it takes me five minutes to get back to you. <laughs> yeah. So get with Dan. You know, Dan's a really good guy. He likes to talk sports. So definitely hit him up. Give him a like on Twitter. And you know, you can always reach us at the Two Shots Podcast. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and it's all spelled out: T W O S H O T S Podcast. And you can also find us on the World Wide Web, like. Jeff Garcia likes to make fun of me because I say that because I'm old school and sometimes I like to make fun of him. He, I'm sure he's going to listen and he's going to make fun of me for that. That's, so that's why I said that on purpose. But really, you can catch us on the internet at twoshotsessay.com. So for Dan Bespris, I'm Joe Garcia. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. And like we always say, spread the love, stop the hate, and be kind. We're out. Peace.